Welcome back to the podcast, Salmon Trout Steelheader. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again today. I would ask that you would share this with your friends. Drop your comments uh, wherever you may be listening, whether it be iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Podbean, whatever it may be. Just leave your comments if you can, and let's talk about fishing. Tell us about um, subjects that you'd like to hear about, things, people that you would like to hear from today. I have on, as a continuation from last episode, which I believe was a week or two ago, I have Keith Johnson back on the podcast today. We're back on the subject of steelhead. Why would you not talk about steelhead? In my opinion, they're the coolest fish on earth. What about you? I agree. Uh, they're beautiful and you know they don't come easy. And that's probably the best thing about them. Here in the Pacific Northwest, I don't think there's a a fish that's harder to catch for most people. Okay, so when it comes to steelhead, what is it about them that makes them difficult to find? Uh, for me, um, I think it's, you know, partially the late nights we all spend, you know, thinking about, you know, where we can find them the next day. And, and that causes us to second guess ourselves the next day when we reach the river and kind of see the conditions we're fishing. Um, but for steelhead, like I would say the most difficult thing about them is the water conditions because where we live here in the Pacific Northwest, we get a lot of rain and the rivers fluctuate because of that. So these fish will sit in different areas and sometimes the very next day you're fishing, you could have caught 10 fish in the spot you know, the day before, but you had a little bit of rain the night before that. And you go out the next day and you're, you know, you're like so excited to fish that spot again because you got a whole bunch of fish there, but they're gone. You know, they might be sitting in just, you know, two or three feet of water, um, you know, somewhere else. And that spot's totally not fishable because of the water. Um, so I really think, you know, the holding areas these fish choose um, because of the rain is what makes it most difficult. In high water, when you first start kind of seeing those fishable conditions, uh, what's your go-to technique, and how are, are you covering water? Oh, I love plugs in high water. Um, you know, I fish with a lot of beginners as a guide, so when I'm able to let the plugs off the boat, you know, all my clients have to do is grab that rod when it bends over so I don't have to rely on um, them as an angler getting you know a good cast mending their line properly um, so high water I love plugs and it's very easy because when you're coming down the river you know a lot of times on one side of the river you're gonna find very fast water and then on the other side of the river, you'll find water that's, you know, slow or maybe a little fast. But you know that those fish are never going to go up that fast water. So it, it like immediately, you know, during a high water day, you can eliminate all of that fast water. And I like to think of it as, um, you know, as if I was trying to walk up the river, I wouldn't choose any of the fast water. I would choose you know, the easiest path I could make my way up the river. And 
So when I'm when I'm coming down the river, I'm looking for those areas. You know, I'll, I'll go down and I'll think about it. Like if I was going to come up this, you know, which side would I come up? Would I come through this, you know, this section? Would it be, you know, just right for me to make my way up without hitting, you know, too fast or um, too shallow? And, uh, you know, visibility plays a role in that as well. Um, sometimes you can fish high water with low vis or, you know, great viz so I think uh, you know what you're looking for is the path of least resistance and that's where you're gonna find these fish yeah and especially in cases where the visibility is lower they can sit in a shallower stretch certainly flow um, and feel protected yeah because fish aren't that tall Lucas are they not they're they're really not so sometimes you might find them in a foot of water it's true. They can they can sit in a foot of water. Yeah, you know, uh, fish are not basketball players. It's fair enough to say they're not that tall. They can Certainly. sit in some small, as far as we know. Yeah, they're about like me, you know, not that tall. <laughs> Wrestling champs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So now um, that's, you know, that's, that's a good way to think about it, walking up the river. And certainly if you got waders on, man, can you believe how much that river and those flows start to make sense when you walk through a river with waders on and kind of how that flow, you can barely tell, but it all of a sudden gets faster. Totally. Um, and oftentimes these fish are going to follow right where um, that slow water meets the fast all the way to the shoreline, even if, you know, you're a foot off the shore, if you have very low, low visibility, you're going to find these fish traveling that shoreline. And I don't know if it's because they can't see that far or maybe they're using their lateral, lateral line to navigate. Um, whatever the case may be, um, you'll find them very close to the shore when there's low vis and high flow. So that's been your experience with plugs, running them close to shore? Or? Totally. Really? Um, How close are we talking? Sometimes I will put my boat literally right on the shoreline where it's resting against the edge. And I'll run rods out. You know, I'll have like the left rod a foot away from the shoreline. Wow. And, and I'll space them apart about five feet each. Um, and, and if I can get them closer, depending on um, how many people I have in my boat, I really like to cover the entire lane of the slow water I'm in. Mm -hmm. with my plugs and I try to think of it as like if I if I feel like these fish can see it you know three to five feet um, I really want each plug spaced about that distance apart so it can't swim past without seeing it so now you're talking about running one of those plugs in a foot or two of water certainly so um, what what are you doing i mean what size of plug are we talking is it just hammer in the bottom what's going on there? for me i prefer the maglip 3.5s um okay. not because you know i exclusively fish maglips um i use them because i'm able to wrap them with bait and i feel like if you can put a shrimp or squid or you know a sardine or something on the belly of those plugs it's going to help get you, you know, you know, a little more um, action without scent on these plugs. I don't think the fish bite them as well. Really? 
So you're talking steelhead specifically in high water? Yep, steelhead. You might, you might hit them with a wrap or a scent? Certainly. Okay. Um, they really respond well to coon shrimp. There's a lot of anise mm-hmm. in those coon shrimp and a lot of oils that come off of them. Um, and some days, what you're going to find when you're running plugs in high water, you know, maybe one day the left rod or the right, right rod is going to get hit. Um, and you don't really know why that happens, but if you notice, you know, one side of the boat's getting bit more than the other, you can slide your boat over, you know, five feet or 10 feet and really try and dial in that moving lane that these fish are swimming through because I believe most of the fish during high water are going to choose the same lane similar to us is a trail through the forest. We're not going to, you know, break through the brush if we don't have to, if there's a, you know, a nice trail for us. Hmm. And for steelhead, you know, that trail would be the slow water. And sometimes, you know, they might be 10 feet off of where they were the day before or or the day after. So you just kind of position your boat is, you know, these fish kind of show you when you're getting bites in your rod. If, If you kind of stick in one place and only one rod's getting bit your chances are going to be much lower unless you shift that boat over a little bit and then oftentimes you're going to find that all rods start getting bit what kind of colors do you like for high water um i really like any color i don't think it matters too much um obviously pinks work really well you know and oranges um, but any plug that you stick out there is going to work very well, especially in high water. These fish are reacting to that movement of the plug um, when they basically run into it because they can't see very far. So plugs produce that aggressive strike, and you're going to get bit as long as you're in the right area. And I, I think position matters more than color. Position, you mean just the exact lane of being in their line of sight, and or what do you mean? Uh, exactly. So I think it, it's just the traveling lane. And some areas, it's very easy to find that traveling lane. And I won't sit, I won't sit in a spot unless I'm you know, getting a bite every 10 to 15 minutes. If I'm not getting a bite every 15 minutes, I'm going to move and I'm going to find a spot where I can routinely get a bite every 15 minutes because in high water, these fish are constantly moving upriver. And there's no reason you shouldn't be getting some sort of bite out of these fish if you're in the right area. Now, what about action and tuning? What do you like to see? Um... It can be tough to tune these maglips because they don't have an eye on the lip like a quick fish would. So you're going to have to get, you know, a little more technical and kind of carve down whatever you wrap that, that plug with. If it's a shrimp or a squid or fish, you're just going to take your finger or, you know, a pair of scissors and just kind of run it down until you think you have like an equal um, 
wrap on both sides of that plug and, and then you can stick it off the side of the boat if it's kind of leaning to one side then you'd pull it out of the water and on the opposite side of that you would kind of scratch a little bit more of that wrap off of there until you get that plug diving straight down if they're running on their sides fish don't like to bite them as well they will bite them but not as well for sure hmm. and you're also going to find plugs that no matter what you do to them they're going to dive the right way no matter what um and usually those are the plugs that gets bit you know over whatever plug you have out there those ones for some weird reason they're going to get more bites than any other plug even if it looks the same you know same color same size everything okay so let's move away from plugs here if you're if you're not able to or rather if you don't fish plugs what's your next high water technique if you don't fish plugs you can easily plunk you can throw up do you really do that I yourself I don't. We all um, know about plunking, but is Keith Johnson really going out there? So you caught your first plunking? steelhead this year? So, yeah. So my first steelhead this winter, I actually did get plunking really? with a spin glow and uh, a pink and chartreuse Mad River worm off of the hook. Only no because, I, you know, I didn't really have confidence in fishing just a spin glow in a no-bait fishery. Yeah. So I thought, why not throw this wiggly piece of rubber on there? Sure enough, I did get the only fish of the day. Nice. Um, in uh yeah so I, I do plunk a little bit it's not my style um if i'm not plunking you know i would say i'm gonna bobber dog mm-hmm. and you know bobber dogging is really cool because basically all you have to do is throw that bobber stop eight feet up your line tell people to throw that bobber out there you know in the slower water while you're cruising down with your boat if it goes down they set the hook you know if they don't hook anything you just tell them leave it there and you just keep on moving down and you know you're gonna have you know snags or rocks or whatever pull that float under and there's really no way of telling if it's a fish or if it's snag but you still got to react just like it would be if it was a fish yeah so bobber dogging bobber schlogging bobber logging Whatever it may be, it's all good. But uh, what else? Once the uh, once the water starts dropping down a little bit more, where are you headed? Well, I mean, what are you what are you doing, technique wise? What kind of rivers? Once once the, what what would you say is that ideal steelhead condition for you? Man, for wild steelhead, let's talk those spring giants. That's that's tough to say. Um, Man, I, I really enjoy fishing low water. I, I feel like low water puts these fish in places that are a lot easier to find them. Um, high water, they really could be anywhere. Um, because the water clarity usually allows them to sit in such shallow water you'd never know they were there. Um, and it's probably water that you'd never even look at during normal conditions. Um, Do you fish... Do you fish that high water situation and find them in those places yourself? I do. Um, So what I do is I try to take a mental note when I'm floating down the river and I see these exposed gravel bars. um, And then you'll see like a little, you know, small bucket, maybe the size of a truck or something, you know, in that 
in know, the gravel bar. In the gravel bar, yeah. like you know, in the water, like kind of downstream of the gravel bar. There's usually a little bucket, and there's like a small pocket of water that's maybe only a foot deep. But then you know, no, you'd never throw a cast in there. But when the water's high, if you could remember where that small bucket is downstream of the gravel bar, um, what that gravel bar is going to do um, is provide a bit of relief from the main current for these fish. And as they're sitting downstream of that gravel bar, which was exposed during low water, um, now the water's high and you can't see the gravel bar, but you kind of know it's there, right? And you just try and memorize where that bucket was below that gravel bar. You'll come through and you'll find fish in, in those zones very often when the water's up. So have you had that experience of fishing at a lower CFS or, or feet rating or whatever it may be, making a mental note, and then actually coming in a high water and having that payoff? Is, is that something that's happened? It has. Um, that's got to be pretty gratifying, man. It's really cool. So I, I yeah. came into this spot, and I didn't really know it existed. I didn't know it was there. I stopped the boat. We got out and fished because that's what we have to do right now. Um, so we hop out of the boat, and we're kind of working this run over in front of us that had nice green water, you know, three, four feet deep. We, we didn't end up getting a bite in there, um, but I was kind of first through the run, and where I stopped the boat, it, it was literally six inches, and 50 yards below the boat, I didn't realize it because I wasn't paying attention, and the river didn't indicate it at all because it was maybe a, a bucket that was only 10 feet long, but I stepped off this ledge, and it was probably three feet deep in there. And what I was standing in before that was only six inches. So we had some rain and we, we came back through there a couple days later. And uh, I fished through there and my buddy fished through there and we didn't get a bite. Uh, and then Zoe, you know, somehow, I like to say she sat on a horseshoe as a kid and just kind of got it stuck up her ass. And, and she's been lucky ever since. <laughs> but she threw it first damn cast in there and pulled out this you know like eight pound chrome hen really? right out of that little bucket and i was saying you know two days ago i can't wait for you know some high water like i know that spot's gonna hold fish and it was really cool for her to get one out of there because the guy before me and me fished through there and we didn't get anything that's rare yeah so it is rare it was neat pretty cool. um I did have a six-inch worm on because I'm hunting those big fish. Yep. And she only had a four-incher. Um, yeah. And so maybe that's what did it. Tough to say. Could be color combination or just timing. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was nice just kind of looking at a piece of water and then being rewarded a couple days later when the water was higher. And um, it's just nice for something like that to come together, you know, two days later. Very special. Um, so in these higher water situations, again, coming back to high water, always kind of fun to talk about this, at least as far as, uh, you know, we're at the end of February, essentially, um, when this podcast is recording, talking about steelhead. We've got steelhead on the brain. We're fishing steelhead tomorrow. Uh, moving into March, um, somewhat into April. Oftentimes the flows will continue, whether it be rain or snow runoff. 
and all of these things happen. But in this higher water, lower visibility, say still some green, some stuff like that, when you were going for colors or jigs or worms or what are you what are you looking at in that higher green low vis water um i'm trying to find something very bright i don't fish those neutral colors very often i really like something you know neon pink with that neon chartreuse i feel like contrast is a a big thing uh, when you have low visibility you know, 20 mil beads or even bigger, some guys are fishing massive beads. Something big is really going to help because I don't think these fish can see that far. So you, you throw something big and bright out there and that seems to catch their attention. What about uh, sense or bait? When you can, obviously this year is different. Yeah, um, I think sense and baits work very well. Um, for me, you know, usually February, March, and April, the fisheries I'm, I'm targeting, I can't use scents and I can't use bait. And I really don't notice the amount of encounters decreasing, um, you know, during those scenarios with bait or no bait. Well, for those specific fish. Yeah. Which um, would be, you know, winter steelhead. For sure. So, what do you think about in the case of like for summer steelhead? If you couldn't use bait, what would be the? If I couldn't use bait for summer yeah. steelhead, it would be, I'd have three things. I'd throw, you know, obviously, hardware. Those fish love something bright, shiny that they can chase down. Yeah. Um, and also, some of those fish are very scared of something like that. Um. Jigs are something that I use in the summer very often. It's actually one of my favorite techniques for summer steelhead. Mm -hmm. I've had many clients run through a hole with bait, like a coon shrimp, you know. And, you know, I'll have two guys go through there with bait. And the third guy through gets one on a jig. And, you know, it doesn't happen one time. It'll happen throughout the day. And what'll happen is like everybody's like, "Hey, give me a jig! I want a jig!" Because the guy with the jig's catching the fish. Um, so, summer steelhead are kind of you know one of those fish that they love jigs, especially when the water gets warmer. And, and I don't really understand why. Maybe that's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. at the same time, you know, I remember what two or three trips with you, summer steelhead tributary fishing. Where we didn't do any jigs in the coon shrimp were absolutely rocking them. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think you should give the impression that you're only <laughs> getting them on jigs by any means. But you're right. That is interesting. Um, you've done well. I, I would like to do that with you summer steelhead wise. Yeah. At the same time, what I picked up in the tributary from fishing with you was that um, the that effective just light coon shrimp rig. Just bare coon shrimp. Yeah, just a and coon I saw shrimp, you doing that. Seriously. Speaking of which, I'm gonna bring you some of those Washington coon shrimp. Yeah. Next time, I should have brought them. I just, you know, I figured, no bait up here right now, but I want to leave you some for summer because that's yeah. what. Yeah. I I've, I absolutely swear by those. I've heard in nothing, the Lower Columbia. I've heard nothing, but good things. I'm not about gonna tell Washington you. Coon shrimp. I'm not going to tell you what to use on your own river, but I'm, I'm going to bring that next time 
as far as in my situation, it, they've been very effective and dependable. So, um, and then, if especially the cool thing that I noticed from you for Summer Steelhead that you did with your coon shrimp is you had like two or three separate bags, one with like a little bit of, I don't know if I can give away your scents. Go ahead, do it. Okay, I think it was like you had one that just had like a Procure shrimp or something like that, like a shrimp oil yeah, or something. Yeah, for sure. Shrimp and prawn oil or something. Was that it? Yeah, it was shrimp. Okay, yeah. Um, which obviously is great. And then the other one, uh, was it anise? Anise, yes. Yeah, okay, anise. So you were going between those two, and we were cleaning up on them, and it was pretty killer. Um, it, and then my favorite's crawfish. Really? Um, that, that was the third one. If I remember right, we did this trip about five years ago, and we caught every single fish on a coon shrimp. Yeah. Um, and, and that was in July before the water got, you know, uh, too low and too warm. Yeah. And what I find, you know, later in the season in August, these fish shy away from bait and they want something small. But really earlier in the season, June and July, when those fish are fresher in the systems, you'll find them chasing a shrimp down like as people are reeling it in. It's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. Like they come out of the salt and they're totally uneducated and they, they'll chase a shrimp and if you can pay attention and yell at your client and be like, Stop reeling, you know, if, if you can <laughs> catch his attention. You know, I've had it many times where they stop reeling, they don't know why they stop reeling, and then all of a sudden ro- um lines peeling off their rod and it's yeah, like yeah. I've seen the fish chasing it, but for them, they got a lot on their plate, you know, because they're, they're learning, so they don't notice a fish chasing that shrimp and as they're reeling because it seems so unnatural. Yeah. Which it is. I it, mean, steelhead are not like the chasers like coho are. No, they're not. Um, you know? But those summer steelhead are, are a totally different fish when they're very fresh. They just... They are. They don't know. Uh, it, and I always tell people they're really dumb, actually. When they're fresh. Yeah, when they're fresh. Yeah, I mean, these are fish that come in. You know, the difference between winter steelhead and summer steelhead in a nutshell, and of course there's tons of variations of this, but summer steelhead come in with a lot of time before they spawn. For sure. So with that said, they come in the river. They're, um, they don't have mature. May and June, they'll start coming yeah. in. Yeah, yep. In my area, March and April, you'll get them yeah, already coming sure. in. And those fish uh, are still, although they don't have to feed, they could spend a year in the river without feeding and still live. That's incredible. But as opportunists, if something nice comes by them, they're totally, they're totally in the mood. And so some, you know, coon shrimp, some spinners, it's all good. You know, it was really cool fishing with you. Um, like I said, those couple of trips where those fish were pretty fresh, they were coming out and they were ready to go on the coon shrimp. Having them uh, chase down spinners. Yeah. Um, I'll um, certainly have super aggressive fish in the Columbia where so I'm So aggressive that your buddy literally dropped his bobber on the side of the boat after we fished a hole for 15 minutes. Yeah. And, and I'm rowing through it, you know, and my paddle almost touched his bobber and it went down. That, yep. I do remember that. Kurt. Yep. Yep. Kurt was Kurt with got us. got one right beside the boat. And I, I wouldn't... I think he was still holding the rod. Yeah. I don't think he had set it down. But it was dropped right over the side of the boat. And I think he had set his bobber stop eight or nine feet deep. And yeah. we're just going over this hole. 
And it was something that I had thought about recently is that, you know, you don't really fish for steelhead. You know, I've had crazy things happen next to the boat for coho. But not for but summer not for, steelhead. Not for steelhead. No. And in that case, it was just crazy. We're, we're rolling over a hole. Crystal clear water. Crystal clear water, sunny, bright, sunny day. The sun yep. is shining on the water. His bobber is out four or five feet from the I drift I mean, boat. right next to the boat. Eight, nine feet deep. And that thing just sinks fish on. In fact, uh, we landed it. Yeah, we landed it. There's a video about it on the, if you go to the Lama Glass Rods YouTube channel, video I did with Keith. Um, did we get a bobber down on that video as we well? We did. And, we did. And that was uh, um, actually Jennifer filmed that. Mm-hmm. And um, that, was, that was really cool. So I think there's two different videos maybe. Anyway, there's a video on the SI98MS. Um, on the Lama Glass Rods YouTube channel. Check it out. That's some cool summer steelhead fishing with Keith. It was pretty special. Um, So anyway, I mean, summer steelhead coming up, spring. What are you doing in between uh, winters and summers, Keith? In between winters and summers, I know everybody, you know, in our area is crazy about spring Chinook. Mm -hmm. For me, um, you know, just five years ago, uh, I was so lucky to have, you know, found my way down to the Florida Keys. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I didn't know what I was doing down there. Like, the fishing is incredible. It's mind-blowing. There's something down there always that you can target. Um, mm. Like, if you're after bonefish and you're not having good luck in the flats... You can go target redfish or black drum or tarpon or permit or barracuda. So anyways, about five years ago, my newfound passion has become the the warm saltwater fishing. Hmm. And it's because it's something I'd, I'd never experienced before. And there's a lot to it. You get the warm water, the warm air, you know, the scenery. You get these turquoise blue flats that hold huge fish um and there's just like endless species to target and for me like i love to catch something i've never caught before so ever since then i i just keep going back and i can't get enough of it like so that's what i do and that's the main reason i don't guide for spring chinook is because i love to go to the keys or you know tampa and fish for really cool species that we don't have here you know keith that's pretty special that's and i've got to say i absolutely appreciate all the invites over the years for your florida keys trips just kidding why have you not brought me (laughs) that sounds great man you're just sitting here making me feel jealous springtime flats fishing sounds like a blast well lucas um you know this might be your year i'm gonna go for three weeks, um, and I've kind of budgeted for Airbnb. My wife and I were gonna rough it a little bit. Okay. But you know what? Like, you know, a couple like us, all we do is live and breathe, and eat and fantasize about what we're gonna catch next. So, when her and I are there, like we fish you know daylight to dark and you know if we can get a nap in between we'll we'll fish through the night too there's so many cool species there that will bite all night long 
and we don't have that here in Washington. So you go there, you fish all day, you catch a bunch of fish, you come home, you know, you come back to your place, you have a little nap, and it's amazing because you're like, man, I'm I'm sitting here, I'm bored. It's you know nine, ten o'clock. Typically, where where we're from, there's nothing to do, but there it's like, hey, let's go catch tarpon, let's go catch some um, snook, or or let's go catch some big shark. And you can fish all night long in 70 or 80 degree weather. And a lot of times you can't even withstand, you know, the daylight heat. So it's it's like a relief to be out there at night. And you're catching all kinds of cool species, you know, things you've never seen before. It's incredible. All right. I accept. <laughs> I'm going. So, thank, thank yes. You, thank you, Zoe, for giving up your ticket. Yeah, no problem. Yep. You know, I don't need to go this year. Yeah. Appreciate it. No, that that does sound great, and it's something I've been thinking about as a steelheader, as someone who enjoys really hunting for fish, um, even bass fishing, some of that type of stuff. The whole flats fishing um, kind of technique seems interesting. Do you find it uh, technique-wise enjoyable, or? Uh, yeah, I find it very enjoyable. What, what what type of? I mean, are you doing spinning gear, casting gear? What are you throwing? Are you throwing plastics, bait? What are you doing? I am not against anything. Um, I love fishing con- conventional, and I love fly fishing. Uh, my first time ever for tarpon on the fly. I hooked a dozen fish, um, but I just could not figure out how to bow to these fish when they oh really when they yeah. jump. So it, I lost every single one of them. Yeah. Um, and I fly fish for bonefish, and those things are absolutely amazing to catch on a fly or spinning gear. Um, tarpon are amazing on spinning gear. I actually, I did land some on the fly and I landed some on spinning gear. Um, and those tarpon are mind blowing. It, it's one fish that has captivated me and they're kind of like steelhead. Now I want to catch my personal best every time I'm out there. I'm, I'm trying to find that the biggest one now. Yeah, I do. I do hear that from a, a couple of the people that I would consider to be kind of, um, you know, trophy steelhead anglers, people who are after some very exciting fish. John Clark is one. He's a guide from Northern California who really enjoys, he's gone down there many a year fishing for tarpon. Seems like an exciting fish, an exciting sport fish. Um, it's all good stuff. It's good, fun stuff to do. So, just to kind of wrap this up, we've talked about a few different things from, you know, high water, wild steelhead um, in the in the winter and spring, moving on to the summer steelhead and bait fishing and all that good stuff, and even into inshore flats fishing. So um, what, you know, if you could choose just one fishery for the rest of your life to do, what is it? Steelhead. For- <laughs> for Zoe, she she pipes in here last minute and says steelhead. Um, That's good. I like that. For me, I've grown up here, and and I I'm spoiled. I admit it. Pretty lucky to be where I am, and and I think that's why I would choose flats fishing because it's something oh, that, that I get to go do. Who is this guy? You're fired. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know. Well, thank you for listening to the Sandwich Trout <laughs> Steelheader podcast. This is the last one you'll ever hear. This, Keith Johnson. Yep. Keith <laughs> Johnson has been demoted from the Salmon Trout Steelheader podcast. Oh. It's been a great time. So, Zoe, <laughs> how is 
we are proud to have you on the program here tonight, and uh, sorry to hear about uh, Keith. And, yeah, it's uh, okay, you know. You know, it is what it is. I mean, uh, you know, some people don't get it. No. Some people don't get salmon, trout, or steelhead. Some so. people just can't hang. They can't hang. Anyway, yeah, well, hey, uh, again, it's been uh, wonderful having uh, Keith and Zoe on the podcast. Like I said, I'm excited about fishing tomorrow. Zoe, um, real quick before we go, so... When it comes down to it, one technique for steelhead, what do you do? Pink worms. Pink worms. Do they yeah. have to be pink? I mean, they don't have to, but I'd prefer if they were. Um, I personally don't like fishing beads a lot because I find the hook-to-land ratio isn't as good. And some people might think it sounds crazy, but for me, you know, if there's a steelhead in there that's only going to eat a bead, I'd rather not hook it and lose it on the bead um so that's why primarily i just stick with worms i find the hook to land ratio a lot better with a worm mm-hmm. for sure what's your uh what's your kind of ideal fishing trip that you could choose oh, for the rest of your life that's a tough one um like i said like i steelhead are my absolute favorite um a trip that I'm really looking forward to, I really want to go up into the Yukon to fish for those big Arctic char. Um, oh, wow. That's something, ever since I saw a picture of those, that's something that I just, I want one so bad. They, when they're in their spawning phase, they are so beautiful and colored up. Um, and then I'd say second on my list um, would be Guatemala for sailfish. Mm, um, same. Keith and I have that planned probably hopefully in the next year or so um, to go down there and it's cool because um, that's the sailfish capital of the world. Um, Yes, Pacific Fins, Guatemala. Um, You also have a shot at marlin, you can catch rooster fish down there, all sorts of species so that's a trip I'm really looking forward to as well. You know, uh, my daughter is half Guatemalan. I would love to go down there with her sometime. Yeah. So and show her the culture, the culture and everything. Yeah. I've heard oh, it's for sure. incredible down there. Oh yeah, for sure. I absolutely love Guatemalan culture. And uh, so anyway, well, all right. Well, great having you guys on the program. Thanks again for listening, uh, Keith. We might invite you back if you denounce your inshore fishing over salmon and steelhead. Yeah, I don't know if you can come fishing tomorrow. Yeah. I think I'll just row, Lucas. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, anyway, thank you guys for listening to yet another episode of the Salmon Trout Sealator podcast. Please tell your friends about it. I'm not joking. We love to hear your comments and love it when you get in touch with us here, salmontroutsteelheader.com. Thank you very much.